Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. That's right. So welcome to 12 Stone. We're glad you're joining us online as we jump back in to our study in James. In fact, you can grab your Bibles, open them up, and start turning to James chapter 1, where we're going to start off here today. Now, as you do that, uh, I want to give you a glimpse, so to speak, in what I believe God is inviting us into here today. See, I think God is inviting us to take a deep, honest look in the mirror when it comes to our faith. To get honest about who we really are and how we really live. See, if we, we took a look in the mirror and examined our life and, and, and tried to look deep into who we are, I think we'd have to come to the surface and admit and be honest that in our lives, there are some hypocrisies that might exist, that we may say one thing and live completely different. Now, to help us understand what that might look like intentionally or unintentionally in our lives, we asked Travis Billman, give us a glimpse of how we might have some hypocrisies that live in our lives. Check this out. No, get back on the iPad and do your grammar homework. It don't do nobody no good to talk incorrect. Ultimately, investing is just about the long term, you know? Hey, by the way, are you in for the Mega Millions pot this week? Get it yourself, I'm not your maid. Hey, while you're up, give me the remote. It feels so good to be outside. Don't you love connecting with nature? Ooh, Blake liked my post. All right, everyone buckle up. No, you're drinking water. Those sugar drinks will kill you. Hey, I said use your inside voices or you're gonna wake the baby. I don't even think our body is meant to digest gluten. I won't eat it, it'll destroy your insides. Ew, don't eat that off the ground, that's disgusting. You're too good, girl. <laughs> Hey, by the way, watch your language. My wife really hates it. Oh, son of a... <laughs> How many of you watch that and immediately you got to raise your hand. You're like, all right, that's me. I've got some of those inside of my life. And we do. Some of us, we have contradiction that's inside of our lives, a double standard hypocrisy in the way that we live. But today, James is going to press in with you and I and he's going to plead and ask, please don't allow this to exist inside of your faith. Because there are eternal consequences to hypocrisy and contradiction inside of our lives. And it's in James chapter 1, verse 22, you're already there, that James starts with a verse that's kind of going to get under the surface, get to the root, and show us where this contradiction in our faith and in our life and how we live can take Hold. It's verse 22. I'll read. You can follow along. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. See, many people, we can get caught up in this thought that hearing a great sermon or doing a great Bible study or, or listening to a great podcast would grow us up spiritually, would help us develop inside of our faith, would give us the blessing that God has for us. But James would press in and say, no, no, no. It's not the listening. It's the doing that brings the blessing of God in our lives. He says, do what it says. Verse 23, he continues. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets 
what he looks like. Now, James' point isn't complicated. What he's saying is that God's word is a mirror. In fact, you could say it like this. He says, whenever you read your Bible, it shows you, you. That's, how, that's why we have scripture, so that we can see who we really are. And James is saying, don't be a person that walks up to the mirror, looks in it, and walks away and completely forgets what he looks like. Take a deep and honest look into your faith because the Bible is a mirror. And as you read it, it challenges us, provokes us, it confronts us, it reads us. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 describes it as a double-edged sword, that it would cut through our, our, our bone and get to our soul, that it would expose what's true of who we are in our faith. See, scripture is the only perfect mirror that we can look into and understand who we are. Chances are, if you have identity issues, if you're trying to figure out who you are, it's because you're looking in the wrong mirrors. For some of us, we look in the mirror of culture to define what's good and bad, what's right from wrong, what's acceptable from unacceptable. Maybe for you, you look at other people's opinion of you. And that's the mirror you look into to see who you are. And no matter how well-meaning those people might be in your life, whatever reflects back at you is going to be a distorted image from what God intended you to be through Jesus Christ. See, there is only one perfect mirror we are called to look into as followers of Christ, and it begins and ends with the word of God. James continues. He goes in and says, verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom into the mirror of the Bible, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So for the next 10, 15 minutes, I want to ask you to do something. And honestly, I think God really is the one that wants to ask you to do something. He's going to use James in the scripture we read next to be a mirror for you to look into to get honest about your faith. Because there are eternal consequences that hang in the balance. Now what James is about to do is he's about to discuss the relationship between faith and works. You might call it faith and deeds, what we do. And he's going to answer a very profound question inside of this point of scripture that probably a lot of us have wrestled with inside of our own lives. And here's the question. What kind of faith really saves a person? James is going to answer this question for us. Go deep inside of faith and help us understand what a living faith is that actually saves. And he's going to describe two types of faith in the next point of scripture. A dead faith, which does not save, and a living faith, that does save. Now, I need to be very clear from the very beginning as we read this. This point of scripture is not saying that our faith, our salvation is found in the good works that we perform, the good things that we do. If you continue to read throughout all of James, he's very clear that our salvation comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection and his bloodshed alone. James is not going to say that. In fact, as we talk about mirrors today, Ravi Zacharias the late Ravi Zacharias, who passed away, man, he has a profound statement about Christianity and its difference. He says, every religion says that the savior by which we can be saved is the person we see in the mirror 
every morning. But true Christianity says the opposite. Let's be clear before we read. True salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone through his death and his resurrection and his bloodshed as the payment of our sins. James is not saying anything contrary to that. We have to be clear before we get into this point of scripture. But what he is saying, what James is leaning into is he's saying that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you would profess that in your life, then you had better have fruits inside of your life. Because if you do not have good works, if you do not have the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control that is evident inside of your lives, you had better have an honest conversation with yourself about whether you actually are saved and have salvation through Jesus Christ. He says this, faith in our hearts is evident in the fruits of our lives. In John chapter 15, Jesus' own words, he says, those who abide in me will bear much fruit. James is asking us today, where's your fruit? Do you have it? So let's dive in and jump into James chapter two. Going over to the next chapter, we're gonna start in verse 14. The first faith he talks about is a dead faith. I'll read. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? See, there's the question. What kind of faith really saves a person? And now God, through James, is going to give us some scenarios to play out, some examples of what a dead faith would look like. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Meaning, someone in your neighborhood is in need. You can see it. A low-income neighborhood, you constantly drive past and you see a need. You see someone walking on the side of the road without a car carrying their groceries. When you are around these people, when you see them, James says, if, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed. In other words, God bless you. I'll be praying for you. I'm praying for you but does nothing about the physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. See, this is the problem with religious people. They talk a lot, but they don't do squat, right? They just keep talking. Their lips are moving, but they're not actually living it out. That's a dead faith. See, when James says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, he's saying that in every situation that someone needs something, God has already provided. See, if they need food, that food is in your pantry. Go get it. Go cook something. Go drop it off. If they need clothes, take the coat off your back and give it to them. Provide for them. And what is terrifying and sobering in this moment is that James says, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It is not a saving faith. Do you know what something dead does? It's not hard. Nothing, right? Do you know what a dead faith does? Nothing. Here's what a dead faith is. Dead faith is when you say you believe in Jesus but your lifestyle lacks the evidence that you belong to Jesus. See, this is just your lips moving. This is lip service saying, I believe in Jesus, but your life is absent of fruits, of, of sacrificing for others and for Jesus and surrendering to his will and not yours. That's a dead faith. James says, 
you can have a faith that is alive on Sunday, at least appears to be, but is actually dead. Why? Because we are really good at pretending. During this quarantine season, Man, Cassie and I, if we had to be honest, we're just getting bored. Maybe it's just overwhelmed by the mundane. After doing a couple hundred loads of laundry and cleaning the house for the millionth time, after watching so many reruns of Friends in the office, man, we're just getting bored at this point. So you would think about a week ago that our family hit the lottery when we found out that our neighbors across the street were going to be cutting down a tree and they were going to be attempting to do it themselves. So we, man, we're, we're excited. We're like getting the popcorn, getting the chairs, getting our kids, gathering them up, getting out in our, in our driveway, literally set up on lawn chairs. We've got snacks, we've got drinks, and we're just so excited to see this huge tree get cut down and at least see them and see them attempt to do it themselves. And as we're watching this moment, my oldest daughter, Ella, she looks at me, she says, dad, why are they cutting down this tree? See, if you were just to, 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 glimpse at the tree, it looked like every other tree around it. It looked like the one that was right next to it. But if you actually took a moment to stop and really look deep at it and close to it, you would begin to see that it's dead. It was dried up, hollowed. You could see that the leaves were actually withering and falling away. It was, it was dead. And actually, it was dangerous. Like eventually this dead tree is going to fall and it's going to hurt someone. It's going to fall in the house, fall on the kids that are playing. It's going to hurt something around it. So it's got to be cut down. And James is looking at you and I today and he's saying, there is a faith that is just like this tree. It's dead and it's dangerous. Some of you may have experienced a dead faith before. Maybe you grew up in a family where it exists. Where someone around you, a friend, a family member said, man, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And then you watch them live their life for themselves in selfishness, never sacrificing for anyone else, just using the people around them. That's a dead faith. That is not what God intended when he said to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That is lazy, lukewarm, lifeless, and dead. And James is about to ask you and I, Take a look in the mirror. Get honest. What does your faith look like? What fruit are you bearing? Man, I love, I love James. I love him. He is a guy that's got some fire in his writing and what he is talking about. I, I love him because he's a little bit like uh, Conor, uh, uh, Conor McGregor. Do you guys know who this is? The UFC fighter, Ultimate Fighting Championship? Yeah, he, he is a guy that I absolutely love because he, you watch him and you just don't know what's going to happen next. You know he's going to throw a punch and ask uh, questions after. And that's a little bit like James. And right now, in the next two verses, I want to get you ready for this. James is about to throw a cheap shot. He's about to throw a low blow, so to speak, at you and I to prove his point, to really let it solidify inside of our lives. And it starts in verse 18. He says this, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good for you. Guess what? Even the demons believe that and shudder. 
What a cheap shot. This is what James is saying. He's saying, you believe in God, good for you. Even the demons believe that. There are millions of people. I don't even know the number. Who believed in God. That are in hell. One of the most sobering realities and truths that James is giving us today. Even the demons believed. Listen, do the demons know who Jesus is? Yes. Do they want to surrender to Jesus? No. Do they sacrifice for Jesus? No. Will they spend eternity in heaven with Jesus? No. Man, many of us, we have a faith like the demons. James is saying, guys, get honest and look at your faith. Where's the fruit? Where's the sacrifice? Where's the surrender? See, a dead faith has all the right information but lacks transformation through surrender and sacrifice to Jesus. It's possible to, to, to believe in God but have no love and affection for him that you would surrender and sacrifice for his kingdom and live for him and not for yourself. Some of you, you might be sitting at home and you go, man, Sean, are you saying that I have a dead faith? I would never say that about you. But God would. James would. Holy Spirit's saying, wake up. Wake up, church. And I'll be the first to go. Let me say this. I had a dead faith in my life. See, I grew up in the church with parents who loved the Lord and didn't demonstrate a dead faith, but a living faith that sacrificed and served Jesus, they loved him and they raised me inside of that. And while I knew the right information, I didn't actually have transformation in my life. I showed up on Sundays and I looked like everybody else growing up that I would, that I would say I love Jesus, but there was no evidence or fruit of that inside of my life. If I could be really honest and candid with you, man, in my younger years, I grew up addicted to pornography, sleeping around with as many women as I can or could. I was living for myself. I used people deeply. I looked only on this earth for satisfaction and pleasure. 15 years ago, my family moved down to Georgia. Thank God. And it was here at 12 Stone. When I was in a service and our senior pastor, Kevin Myers, was teaching. It was in that moment where I, I knew with a, a certainty that Jesus was saying, Sean, don't just believe I exist. Believe in me. Surrender your life to me. Sacrifice for me. Bear fruit. Become like me. That when you walk around this world, you reflect my image so that people can see light in the darkness. And it was in that moment where I surrendered my life to Christ. And man, I wanted in this moment to be able to show you with such clarity what the grace of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ looks like. And so what I did 
is I shot a video of my favorite thing that I experience every time I walk into my house after being off at work or running around somewhere else. I get to experience my year and a half year old son, Leo, who is always the most excited person in the world to see me. I believe this is as close as we can get to understanding the grace of Jesus Christ in an image, so to speak, in what we would experience. Check out this video. Oh, hi, buddy. I get it. Cheesy, whatever. I love it. It's my greatest experience. I love that thing. Every time I, I walk into the house, he does the same thing. It sprints up. And I want you to hear something. That is the grace of Jesus Christ every day for you. That is the forgiveness of Jesus Christ every day for you. Every day is a new day where Jesus Christ is pursuing you through the Holy Spirit, running after you, completely bounding towards you, wanting to grab you and hold you and say, I love you. I forgive you. Be with me. Now, in these moments when I experience this with my son, I hug him, I pick him up. And then you know what I do? I throw him away and just move on with my life. I don't do that. Of course not. What kind of father would I be? I embrace my son in that moment because I want to be with him. And listen, when the grace of Christ, when the forgiveness of Christ embraces you, it's not something you can walk away from untransformed. You are never the same. It is a moment to confess before your father that you love him and that you've made mistakes and he'll forgive you. But it's also a moment that you would take on his image and begin to live that out everywhere you go. You would begin to bear fruit just like your father has. When I am with my son, I am imparting on him and giving him fruit and watching him become like me, good and bad. But with God, it's all the good of God that we want, the transformation in our life that we get when we get in his word and look in the mirror and get honest about our faith and what we need to do inside of it. Verse 20, as we continue, is a moment. You've heard my testimony, shared it with you. I want, James wants you to hear Abraham's testimony. Let's read verse 20. He says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. See, it's the two of them working together. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. It is the two working together that we would experience the grace of Jesus Christ and be different because of it. And what is a living faith? This is the living faith right here. A living faith is when you produce good works because of God's saving work in Jesus. The gospel. That's a living faith. That we wouldn't go do good works because we feel guilty, but we'd go do good works because we're transformed. We're reborn in Christ. And the power of the Holy Spirit is now in us. We couldn't live the same way because we've experienced who Jesus is. See, faith, faith is not, go to the next one for me. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of consequence. That's a living faith. That whatever God asks us to do, however he asks us to surrender his will, however he asks us to sacrifice for his kingdom, 
that we would simply walk in obedience and trusting in him. So church, let me ask you, when's the last time you took an honest look in the mirror? Got honest about your faith. Is it living? Is it dead? Are you producing good works based on the saving work of Jesus Christ? James would plead with us to take audit of our faith here today. It's in James chapter two. If you continue reading verse 26, where he says that a body, a church without the Holy Spirit is dead, just like faith without works is dead. So what do we do? Well, we pray is what we do. We get honest. We confess before our father where we've fallen short of a living faith and into a dead faith. And we go after this living faith in Christ to doing the things around us that we say we believe and actually living them out. So I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray that the Holy Spirit would convict us where we need to be convicted and lead us where we need to be led in our faith to get honest. But before I do that, I wanna read Matthew chapter five, verse 13 over you church. Receive this, if you would, as a reminder. These are Jesus' words of the calling that he has for you and I. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven because all glory goes to God. Let me pray that over you here today. So Father, as we get honest in our faith, as we take a deep look into the mirror of your word, as we read the words of James and his pleading inside of our lives, not to contradict, not just to hear and listen, but to actually do, to let it be lived out inside of our faith. Father, I pray that for every person here. If you're listening right now and you sense the Holy Spirit is just bringing something up and bringing something to your attention inside of us, maybe you need to give your life to Christ and actually surrender and begin to sacrifice for his kingdom, then man, let this be that moment. Cry out to Jesus. And then Holy Spirit, I pray, fall on us like you've never fallen on us before. Lead us like you've never led us before. In a time when we are so desperate for you, would you lead us? For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 Come on. Thank you, Sean. Man, God, just, Pastor Sean, that is powerful. Church, we're... We're the dwelling place of the living God. I mean, that's welcome to Pentecost Sunday. <laughs> the Holy Spirit in you, the power of God in you, transforms you. Let's be salt and light. And it impacts the way we live in this world. Not merely through COVID, but, but through what's going on, the tensions in our culture. And I said I wanted to speak to that uh, today. So let me spend some moments on it. Like many of you, I watched the video of George Floyd in his final moments. And 
And that was horrific. Devastating, really, to watch. I, mean, I immediately had anger, rage, just this outrage. And why? Because his life mattered. All of this sits in the gospel of Christ and in the book of James where, where we're reading this season and, and the Holy Spirit would give us instruction as a church through the writings that he, he spoke through James. Let me illustrate that it starts right out. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not atheists. We don't buy into the faith of secular humanism. We don't believe that you're an evolutionary accident. That you have no purpose and no meaning and, 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 and no soul and, 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 and that you have no real, real moral right and wrong. We believe that we've been created from a living God and, and that he loves us and we were created by him and for him. That we have a soul and we have purpose and we have meaning and we have value and there's, and there's, there's righteousness and there's moral good. So you matter to God. So the life of of, of George Floyd mattered. That's why it's so unsettling to this disruptive. We're, we're in this COVID season and, and this has been kind of a crazy, honestly. Don't you think it's so strange? We, we've, for 10, 11, 12 weeks, we, we've shut down practically the economy of a nation and, and a whole world is in this. First time in my lifetime, I think first time ever like this. And, and why are we doing all this? to save lives. And you watch a senseless death. Of course it disrupts your soul. Because you know that something is true. That Let me just put it up here. That, that this is true. We are created by God with great value. And, and so immediately on the heels of that, we would just confess, secondly, that we are justifiably angry. You're, we're angry. When there's loss of life and it's senseless and not necessary and, and excessive. So from a Ahmaud Aubrey to a Breonna Taylor to, a, to, to George Floyd, this stuff affects us. Every, every ethnicity uh, experiences its own uh, moments or seasons when, when, when great violence may have been uh, brought upon them or perpetrated upon them. But I get it. Uh, this season when um, our brothers and sisters in the African-American community, when you feel like um, this is just disproportionately coming on you. And how unsettling it is and exhausting to have promises from politicians who say we have the answers and places like Minneapolis where you just, oh, okay, so they're going to come in and solve it and bring equality and, this, and it never really happens. But this is one man. This is all one man's actions for five, ten minutes. Is it all racially motivated? I don't know. I don't know the man. I don't know his heart. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's more. It's, it's certainly, it's certainly abuse of power. And I get asked, oh, PK, why don't you... Why don't you respond in the moment of social media? Why don't you go after this stuff and, and, and just get in the heat of it all? And I'll, I'll tell you why. You, you watch. You, you've noticed we don't do that. I don't, I don't do it that way. I'll tell you why. Because I, I think we're responsible to give a measured response. Not an emotional response. An informed response. A response that has more fact than emotion. 
because it's the wisdom of God. Proverbs 25, 11 says, a fool gives full vent to his anger. I've had to learn what James teaches in James chapter one, verse 20. Human anger does not bring about the righteousness God desires. When we get angry and we just let it vent, it doesn't bring about the righteousness that God desires. In other words, emotionalism and outrage often contradicts and undoes the very justice we say we desire. And so we need measured response. In other words, if it should be a cup, you measure it out as a cup. It's not a half a cup. It's not two cups. You measure it. So angry, but, but anger without sin. That's kind of the thought that in your anger, do not sin. Here's what that means. If you're an officer, thank you for what you do. And our country needs that. But in your anger, do not sin. No excessive force protesters. And in your anger, do not sin. No looting. No destruction of property. America. In your anger, do not sin. Stop this hating, particularly social media. But mostly church, in your anger, do not sin. We don't lean into divisive. And we have a calling that's higher. James talks about it. I mean, we, we love beyond and bigger than racism. Look, listen, here, here's what he would, God, he would tell us, God shows no favoritism. So love bigger than racism. Look at this scripture. James, James writes right to it. Scripture is so practical to life. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. I mean, if you show favoritism, verse 9 says you sin. I mean, no favoritism, no prejudice, whether socioeconomic or, or ethnicity, no favoritism. God, God's not prejudiced. He created us all in his image. We matter to God. And, and maybe, maybe the social media world loves to stir up division. Maybe that ups their ratings. Okay, fine. But certainly that world isn't solving this. But Jesus did. If we would all come back to Jesus, the gospel solves this. The gospel doesn't add to the division. The gospel heals division. It's who Jesus is. It's what he's done. And it's who we are as his church. We are one in Christ. That's what makes us unique. We love. Look what he says in verse 8 of chapter 2. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. Church, that's who we are. We love our neighbor as ourselves. George Floyd is our neighbor. And so we mourn with those who mourn. And we love like nobody else on earth. Because God's love is in us. Man, Saturday morning, we sent down immediately, crack of dawn, a whole crew of 12 stoners gathered and went downtown Atlanta to clean up our city after the rioting. Good for us. Good for you, team. Way to go. And we love like no one else. So church, I think we need a measured response. And there are four things that the Holy Spirit would tell us. We are created by God with great value. We are justifiably anger. In your anger, do not sin. And God shows no favoritism. So love bigger than racism. Can I pray that over us? wherever you are. Father, you've called us to live better than this world lives. You have already provided the solution. Give us wisdom and grace to be like you. Would you heal the divide in our country? 
Would you pour out your Holy Spirit as you did at Pentecost and all the more in this season? And would you help us be salt and light in Jesus' name? Amen. Church, so good to be together. May God pour out and accomplish all he desires. And now let me show it to, uh, throw it to Jeremy and let him wrap the service up today. God bless. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.